Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Today on the show, we have Naomi Tachera. Is that how I say it? Tachera. Tachera. Thank you. Naomi Tachera. Uh, really excited to have uh, Naomi on the podcast. She's a... Uh, 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 behavior analyst, uh, uh, born and raised in Hawaii and, uh, has some really interesting, uh, really, really interesting, that's the right, wrong word, really cool perspective on kind of, you know, uh, education and, uh, and behavior analysis in Hawaii and, uh, folks, I think folks are going to learn a lot from today's episode. Uh, I always do a, a little pre-chat before each interview and I'll talk to the guest, um, um, you know, just we kind of come up with talking points and different ideas. And often those chats are, you know, like, you know, 10, 20 minutes, come up with a few ideas and, and, and get going. I regret not pressing record on my pre-chat with Naomi because <laughs> I learned so much in that pre-chat. I've learned more in that pre-chat than I've ever learned, I think, um, in a podcast that I've done, like it was just, it was just mind blowing. So I think folks are going to get, you know, uh, hopefully uh, some, some really interesting uh, tidbits out of here. And I think some wake up calls too, for some folks, hopefully, because uh, it certainly was one for me. Uh, so I'm really excited about it. But before I get to it, um, I just want to do a, a little bit of a, a acknowledgement of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of where I am and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and sort of share some gratitude towards um, the indigenous folk um, that uh, have lived on the lands where I'm producing this podcast for time immemorial, thousands of years. Um, uh, there's four First Nations that I've referenced several times uh, in, in sort of other um, um, sort of openings um, on the podcast. One in particular is called the Tla'aman First Nation or the Tla'aman First Nation. And they're, you know, they're an incredible group of folk. Uh, really relatively small population, I think, when you sort of compare it to sort of other First Nations around the country, um, uh, around the world. I mean, they're right next to a, a city called Powell River, um, in where, I, where I live in, in British Columbia. And Powell River is kind of, uh, 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 has a ferry terminal that takes you to the island that I live on. Um, and... Uh, Powell River is a small community. I'm thinking like 13, 14,000 people. And, you know, Slava Nation is, you know, a, a small section of that. I'm not sure exactly how many folks there are, but not that many. Um, and yet just so rich in culture and history and stories. And so many really cool folks have come from there. Um, uh, certainly folks that are familiar with sort of Canadian uh, sort of entertainment and media. There's been some really neat folks that have kind of come out of there in that area, but also a lot of other areas. Just a lot of really, really, really amazing people. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they're right next to this, again, this town called Powell River, which um, uh, is named after a guy named Israel Powell. And uh, I think I talked about this in the last episode that I just did uh, – um, uh, with uh, um, Dr. Noor Syed. Um, so I may, I may be repeating this story a few times, but I think that's okay for folks. 
Israel Powell was was one of the original what they called Indian agents. Um, and I mean, that term alone, you know, I think can definitely put a bad taste in people's mouths. I mean, um, uh, but essentially, Canada has this thing called the Indian Act that they put into place a couple hundred years ago. And it was essentially a a mass amount of constitutional laws that sort of, you know, from the white colonial perspective, essentially puts indigenous people in their place, um, as 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 the settlers like to, like to look at it. You know, uh, you know, uh, you you can have these rights, but you can't have these rights. You can have this land, but you can't have this land. Um, you know, um, we really don't want you to have any culture. Uh, we really don't want you to have your ceremonies or your language. Um, and essentially, Israel Powell was the guy that you know. If he wasn't actually doing it himself, he was the guy that was sending people to essentially his staff to people's homes, you know, to, the, to these sort of reserves, um, um, you know, across the country. And, uh, you know, a, a trigger warning here. I'm, I'm talking about residential schools here a bit. So if anyone wants to kind of pause and pull away, now's a good time to do it. But he's the guy that basically ordered that all these children be removed from these homes at a very young age, put in these schools. And have them, um, 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 you know, and 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 have that the, the the residential school experience, as it were. And I, I, you know, I've, I talked about it quite a bit in the last couple episodes. I won't go into it again, but you know, essentially a place where they was these weren't schools; these were you know, concentration camps that uh, you know took tore these people's histories away, their culture, their language, made them shave their heads, made them change all their clothes. Um, I don't have video on today because, uh, unfortunately, uh, Naomi's having some internet issues. Um, but if, if I did, you'd notice um, uh, I am wearing my orange shirt today. Uh, uh, last week was Orange Shirt Day in Canada. And Orange Shirt Day is a day that we celebrate. Um, uh, and I, I got to get her name. I, I, I had it in, in my head. Uh, a woman up in kind of northern British Columbia who uh, was a child in one of these residential schools. And she had an orange shirt on that I think was made for her by a family member. And she refused to take it off when the uh, residential school staff told her to. And, uh, you know, it became, you know, very much a, you know, a symbol, you know, of, of, of resistance and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and strength and power for indigenous folk across the country. Um, to the point that we now have this thing called Orange Shirt Day, where every year on September 30th, everyone throws an orange shirt on, with often with really, really, really cool indigenous art on them. Mine, again, you can't see it. It has. It's, it's just. I love this shirt. It's just. I love the art on it, and and it. Anyway, it's just a a, a way to sort of celebrate, but also remember and kind of work towards reconciliation uh, with the indigenous folk. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's a journey, it's, it's a long journey and we're on it every day. Um, uh, I'm really supportive of, um, uh, the Klamath First Nations sort of efforts to work with, uh, the folks in Powell River to have the city's name changed, um, to its, uh, original name of Tisquat. Um, but, uh, ridiculous amount of racism happening up there against this, you know, that sort of language of. Well, it's been Pell River for 200 years, and now you want to go and change it? How dare you? You know, but it was called Tisquat for thousands of years before that. 
and then we came in and changed the name, you know, and named it after this horrible Israel Powell guy. Anyway, um, it, uh, it's been a really interesting learning experience, but I'm just really grateful that I'm able to, you know, live on these lands, um, you know, and I really, I want to learn more about kind of stewardship and whatnot. And just one more quick anecdote that just kind of came to my head that I kind of, I'm, 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 look, I'm looking forward to looking into some more. I was talking to a neighbor uh, um, the other day, and he was telling me that we we're talking about birds of prey that we often find injured here. And I, I've been involved in some rescues of sort of birds of prey, and there's a local agency that rehabilitates them. And, you know, I, I rescued a couple of eagles and an owl once, and, and uh, a couple of owls. It was a really lovely experience, so we'll get into it. But um, there also are times where we find these birds of prey that, are, that haven't survived. Um, and he was telling a story to me about how he really, he's another white fella, and he was telling me how he wanted to remove one of the feathers and, or some of the feathers and use them. He was an artist or whatever. But he thought it would be smart maybe to maybe first give one of his indigenous friends a call. And he did. And, uh, and he asked him, you know, what do I do when I find a, you know, a, a deceased eagle? It was a, I think it was a bald eagle. Um, and uh, eagles, are, you know, very powerful um, symbol and, and and sort of spiritual uh, being in um, in a lot of the local First Nation communities. And he said, basically, you you have to I forget the term exactly. And that's why I got to talk to somebody. But I think you actually kind of lay it lay its wings out, sort of in a T form, and you've got a. And he said, talk about sort of a cardinal position. So I think it just I think that means maybe the eagle is facing north or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. Um, the head is or something and you lay it that when you just leave it and you don't take any any parts from it whatsoever and you let nature and other animals sort of you know do their thing um, and that's the most respectful thing you can do it just got me thinking about sort of you know there are probably so many things that I don't even think about that I do every day um, that you know if I connected with some of the indigenous folk around here I might find sort of a, a traditional sort of spiritual connection and sort of a different way of doing things. And so I just loved hearing that story and I'm looking forward to kind of hearing more stories because I love being in nature. I love being here. I want to be a good steward of the land, but you know, I don't, I don't really know what that means. Um, and so, you know, I, I do want to kind of make somewhat of a pledge to kind of start learning more about that piece and trying to do better on that end. Anyway, um, Thanks uh, for, for bearing with me for, for, for that story. And um, thanks again for coming on the podcast, Naomi. Thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored to have been invited to, you know, talk story, I guess, about a lot of things that are, that are um, not common around Indigenous populations. Mm. Um, you know, um, we are facing some of the same challenges as you were speaking about um, what's going on in your area, same things happening here. Um, mm. we're, we're trying to restore some of our old names into areas. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like on my island where I'm from, Hawaii Island, we have an area called Captain Cook. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> right, so we're trying to, re we tried to restore the name and um, majority of the people said, you know, same thing, you know, it's been, it's been this way for, you know, 129 years. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's it's going to be an inconvenience to change all of my, um, 
you know, uh, post office, you know, right. USPS and all those things. So, um, you know, but it did go far, but it didn't, unfortunately, um, a lot of those changes were not made. Uh, mm. We are, there are pushes to change school names too. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are school names and, you know, a lot of it is, you know, people, they said, oh, I'm having a hard time pronouncing some of these very long Hawaiian names. Um, And it's an Mm -hmm. inconvenience um, to, you know, the effort response is very high to then, you know, have a long Mm -hmm. word. But I was like, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's a, a fish name that we have that's pretty long that, you know, kindergartners know. You know, <laughs> that's a very long name, but kindergartners have learned it. It's on, <laughs> I think it's on uh, Octonauts is like a, um, like a children's cartoon. They gotcha. teach, you know, so um, for, for it to um, people to say, you know, we don't like, you know, the traditional names mm-hmm. and um, kind of go against it. It's an inconvenience. Um it's hard for us mm-hmm. to to hear those that. things. So, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and you, you you kind of just bringing up that point as well. It's interesting. Been following exact same kind of conversations are happening up here. While we'll never be able to pronounce it, or, or I know I don't know what it's like in Hawaii, but here, because I think a lot of the languages or most of the sort of First Nation languages were were always sort of taught orally there was there wasn't a lot of written or if any kind of written communication up until you know not that long ago i think um and Mm. so a a lot of the ways the words are spelled are using um and i can't remember what it's called but it's a it's something like the lettering you see in like dictionaries when they're showing you pronunciation of words you know symbols and whatnot to sort of Mm -hmm. and i forget what it's called there's a name for that it could be that. There's a name for that letter system. It was, it was something like that. In any case, when you look at those letters on a sign, you know they they, you know, to to, to an English speaker, they look quite bizarre. I mean, they don't. Some of them look like letters, but some of them look look like upside down numbers, and some of them look like odd punctuation symbols and whatnot. And mm. and so, you know, there's been another real move to sort of, like you said, change street signs and change uh, road signs and, 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 and those sorts of things. And people are like, well, I can't pronounce that. I don't know what that means. How am I supposed to say it? If this is supposed to be inclusive, then I should be able to say it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and some of these people are, are this is what's really interesting is some of these people are people that are otherwise, you know, seem very anti-racist um, and participate in a lot of anti-racist activities and seem pretty, you know, kind of, leftist liberal kind of folks that are you know seem to be on board with a lot of what we're talking about and yet they're also very they're also very hardcore on this sort of pronunciation piece being a problem and i i could be wrong but that to me that this seems like a like a a a major microaggression of sorts that they're not even Mm -hmm. aware they're doing um and uh and so so it's just so odd to sort of see the you know this guy and this guy that I always thought were sort of, you know, um, you know, pretty culturally aware and pretty kind of had some cultural humility and whatnot. And yet still like, no, but I got to be able to pronounce it or we can't change it. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I as love, long as it's not inconvenient I love your for them. Point of, 
Exactly. But I love your point about the kindergartners being able to pronounce it and uh and these and these uh interesting adults struggling at the same time. So mm-hmm. yeah. No, I mean we can all learn to pronounce new words. I mean, uh that's not that that seems like almost like an excuse of sorts to sort of you know continue you know, to continue the settler um mentality. Exactly, or, yeah. Know, like yeah. I think I think it really speaks to that you know, I've been learning lots in the last few years about my own implicit biases, but it speaks a lot to the to theirs. So there's this, you know, in the end, in the end, sure, we're, we'll welcome you. You can be a part of our community. We'll, you know, you're welcome to have your traditions. We'll attend them and whatnot. But just don't go too far. Don't go too mm-hmm. far. You know, there's 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 still rules here. I still live here, you know. Yeah. And uh <laughs> Yeah, so that that's been that's been uh, you know uh, well, a small struggle for me, and I'm sure you know uh, an exponentially large struggle for for those folks that have had to deal with this for intergenerational sort of sort of periods. So yeah, and we're gonna I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of diving into some of this stuff as it relates to Hawaii because this this was all new to me. Like I I, I knew you know, and, and we'll get into this. I knew you know. Hawaii, you know, obviously had, you know, indigenous folk living there. Um, um, but, you know, the, the media and whatnot and, you know, tourism and commercials, and we talked about this quite a bit, has really kind of certainly shaped my, and I'm sure millions of others, uh, impression of what Hawaii, you know, isn't. <laughs> um, um, and instead, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, and, and so some of the things that we're going to touch on today, I, you know, I think for a lot of folks, maybe there's more Americans that are aware of this than I know of, but I know for me, this, this was all brand new information. So I'm looking forward to getting into it before we do. What I like to always do with the guests is kind of get a little bit of a, a, a sort of a little bit of a background story, kind of, you know, how you got into the field of, uh, you know, uh, you are a BCBA, of course, so how you got into the field of uh, behavior analysis, kind of what, what brought you there and, 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 uh, and kind of what that, how, how that led to kind of where you are now. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to go to www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop and enter the three secret words. The first secret word is culture. Yeah. Okay, so um, when I had my first son in 2010, um, I was working in early childhood education um, and I was actually, it took home some kits to run some ages and stages questionnaire, you know to see if he was developing um, right. because I did notice some, some, uh, some signs uh, of not responding to his name. And so mm. what led down the path of getting hearing screening and then eventually uh, went to a doctor and said, yeah, your son definitely has um, autism spectrum disorder. And mm. he was diagnosed with the DSM-5 I think it just had mm. come out that year or the year before. Right. And so um, with that, um, I had already had a second son and was going through uh, early intervention services and um, 
when I research more, of course, I think every autism parent researches a lot to help their kids. There isn't, there isn't a, a pill or, mm-hmm. you know, medication. It was, I found this thing called applied behavior analysis. And so when I researched it more and, you know, found how can I get the services Really, there was the autism insurance reform did not occur at this time, um, so it was not covered. But I did get an email from, I think, Autism Speaks that says, hey, you know, applied behavior analysis can now get covered through Medicaid. And Mm. so um, I pursued um, my my son's health insurance plan and um, called them every day for about six months until they they approved his therapy and so so you know i'm just thinking here's the gold standard of therapy for kids with autism but when i saw it in action at my home i was like what is that magic and i know it's science (laughs) now but what is that magic i want to have those skills as a parent um so i was I had enrolled back in college. I'm a very non-traditional student. I had rolled back in college, um, mm. um, finished my bachelor's, and then my second son was diagnosed. So I was like, okay, mm. what am I going to do? How I need right. more tools to work with these kids. And so it kind of fell in my lap to say, hey, well, why don't you do a master's in special education and applied behavior analysis? And so mm. um, I went into that. And then um, the program that I was in wasn't part of a teaching, the teaching licensure program. So after I graduated my master's, I really seen the need for special education teachers and said, you know, I mean, I, we have to, that's our responsibility to give back to the community. So why don't I become a special education teacher? I did that for a couple of years. And then um, while doing my practicum and then sat for my boards and then um, became a BCBA. Um, and now I am an instructor at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, um, teaching in the special education department to really, and it's really, um, from all the education that I received growing up, it is ultimately my responsibility to to give back to my community. It's not, um, I'm going to have a career. I mean, and of course, if it's, it's very, uh, it's a passion of mine, but it's also my responsibility to help uh, advocate for other kids in my um, in my community to receive the services they need and help support other parents because there's not a lot of you know uh, not a lot of support. Um, so we kind of have to make that we have to build that from the bottom up mm. to just support one another and um, on this journey. So. That's how I fell into the world of applied behavior analysis and special education. Just, you know, being a parent and saying, hey, I need yeah. more skills. So that's amazing. So your kids are what, 12? I guess one of those were. How old are they now? How old are they? Yeah. Old so sixth grade, 11, 11 years old, and then mm. fourth grade, nine years old. So, wow. Yeah. Um, but they went from, especially my 11-year-old, went from, you know, severe self-injurious behaviors, wow. um, no no communication, screaming for hours on end, uh, really mm. had a difficult time being around a lot of people, transitions. I mm. mean, just, you know, 
that it was really hard. So, so really applied behavior analysis gave us, gave me and, and even my husband, this spark of hope that, you know, he can be able, now he can read. Um, Mm. Now he's mostly in mainstream um, school. And if we go to this grocery store, kids will say, you know, hi, and they'll, they'll say hi to him. And, and you know, when it's genuine or it's not, Mm. and kids are always very genuine with him and, Awesome. They they let me know like oh he's in my science class and you know, uh. we, we you know we sit in his group on his tables and he's really nice he remembers our names so mm. you know um and I think that spark of hope really wanted me to get into the field to help other families see that yeah hey if you got you know if you have these skill set um, and services you know um you could see some um positive changes but also to not keep them isolated at home and not knowing what to do because I was afraid of that um kind of you know you get into this funk where it's like so hard to go to the grocery store and if you don't have the skill set um to practice that um you're gonna not end up doing it but when you when you when you have the support of a BCBA and RBT saying hey let's try this and then we can mm. practice it and then you can see, oh, my gosh, it's getting better and better. You know, you've conquered a lot of things by not being afraid to try and having mm-hmm. some skills. So that leads to definitely more integration into the community and really spreading more awareness in my towns. You know, my son will um, still stim uh, mm. and make vocalizations in the store and, you know, flap mm. his hands. But um to me that is uh for for the my greater community they understand that and i don't have Mm -hmm. to feel um you know the need to change him just you know that this is this is it and you know and so it's been a beautiful uh awareness for, for the for the few years that people in my community has seen my kids grow and and they do comment on that. Wow, you know, they're doing so amazing. Um, so, you know, it's the village that helped to raise them in all yes. aspects and environments of their life. I can't take credit for, you know, barely any of it, but it's the SPED teachers. It's the, you know, EAs, the RBTs, the BCBAs, the SLPs. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. knowing that, how, hey, how can I, um, how can I contribute to that? village really cool sounds like a a really really inclusive community that you're you're in or yeah seems that way it 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 is it really is and i love it yeah yeah is i'm curious i had uh in a podcast uh, a few months back with a guy named grant bruno from kind of central canada and he's a indigenous fella with a uh, autistic boy and we talked a lot about um sort of autism from that kind of canadian well not, i shouldn't say canadian kind of first nations indigenous perspective in canada and a lot of different things kind of came up but one thing in particular that stood out for me when he spoke was that he he said 
and I've been, I was thinking about a lot a lot about this last night actually when because I knew this we were coming up to this interview today and I was thinking about sort of you know the, the autism diagnosis you know and and being part of the DSM you know and just the DSM in general um, these diagnoses are all very kind of you know well they're 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 westernized right they're I mean it's mm -hmm. It's essentially colonizers that created this, created these diagnoses, um, wrote this book, and, and so on and so forth. I'm sure, you know, I mean, I, I don't know all of the contributors to the DSM. I, I hope there is some diversity in, in there. But for the most part, it, these are the, the, the you know, uh, this whole, the whole field of psychiatry and whatnot is, is a very, you know, Western thing. Um, and, there, you know, and, there, and there's certainly some pros to, to, you know, some of those things, but there's definitely some cons as well. And I kind of wondered about sort of, you know, if, you know, if, 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 if the colonization had never occurred, you know, or sort of pre-colonization, you know, how would folks like, you know, your kids, you know, you know, be, be sort of recognized and accepted or treated, um, you know, uh, you know, in their communities, because he talked about a word and, 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 and uh, it started with P and I forget what it was, uh, but basically it was a, a, a Cree term um, for, uh, you know, for autism and for, I think for neurodiversity altogether. Um, and essentially it was a term, I think it was uh, one who, th it, it translated roughly to one who thinks differently. Um, mm. uh and essentially there was no, the point being that there was no sort of disorder, disability kind of, um, you know, context or language around it in any way. Um, uh, and he talked about sort of the ceremonies of the indigenous folk, uh, particularly his community, and how those ceremonies were, you know, really the most inclusive possible events that exist on this planet. Um, you know, and so his kids could go to those and be themselves with no judgment whatsoever. Um, it just kind of made me wonder sort of about, you know, what it's like in other countries. I mean, I, I've talked to some folks in some in some places where, you know, it's it's it's, you know, there, there's some really horrible stories, you know, like mm -hmm, it, the mm -hmm. folks with disabilities are looked at as, you know, less than people and you know, are often not allowed to live and whatnot or, or put away in institutions. But then other folks are like, you know, like I was talking to, had a guest on from Senegal or in Senegal. And, and again, there was a real uh, takes a village kind of uh, uh, approach there where uh, uh, the, the guest told me that, uh, you know, uh, autistic boy could, 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 could elope from the home but it wouldn't be considered a challenging behavior because anyone else mm -hmm. in any other home would gladly accept them into their home. And he could just run from home to home to home to home to home. And you'd never really be lost because he was always in the community. Wow. Yeah. I just thought that was so cool. Um, and so I just kind of, you know, this is leading to the, the question of, I'm curious sort of, you know, what... What's the Hawaiian perspective? Sort of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. And just to give a little background to, um, I I was the first mm -hmm. graduating class of uh, Kanoka Aina. That was the first uh, culturally based Hawaiian place of education. Um, you know, 
so in mm. the school that I that I went to and worked for several years later, um, really was grounded in um, Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian language, um, and all mm. of those things. So um, I the my mentor who was the founder of that school, Dr. Kukahakalau, she was. Mm. Um, you know, after she found out my children were diagnosed, she really wanted to kind of talk about the idea of disabilities or specifically autism and her idea of what she felt that meant in terms of um, Hawaiian culture and in, in Hawaiian mm. language. And so she brought mm. she brought the idea of um, this word called e'epa. So e'epa mm. in Hawaiian means extraordinary, but incomprehensible. Mm abnormal, peculiar, um, but a person with miraculous powers. So mm. when you think when you think about that in, in terms of Mo'olelo mm. or Hawaiian stories, because we're a very mm-hmm. oral based um, mm-hmm. culture. But when but then at then when we were colonized, um, we became the most literate nation in the world and we we put our words into paper into writing and we came up with a Mm. system and had our own newspapers and and all in um our native language Mm. so um so sorry i went off a little but so the idea of and she said i really believe that our viewpoint of really lines up with someone with autism Mm -hmm. and so I, I was I love that she actually went ahead and and kind of researched it for me I mean she and and she was the first mm-hmm. person uh, to get a PhD in indigenous education so she is mm. a um, a pioneer in definitely uh, of Hawaii in terms of um, Hawaiian focused uh, culture based yes. uh, education so. So with that, I, I I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so there's there's this mo'olelo, there's a there's a lot of mo'olelo or stories that include e'epa. Mm. And one of my favorite stories is Pua Pua Lena Lena. Um, and without having to tell the whole story, basically mm. e'epa were viewed as godlike or that had um had miraculous powers. So mm. they were in in a sense specialists. Um, but they also were mm. peculiar. So mm-hmm. um, I mm-hmm. take that, and and I, from what I un- could understand of all of what Antiku brought to me was that the the Hawaiian viewpoint was that they were revered, and not mm. to be um, hila 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 is a Hawaiian word for kind of shy or not shame but shy. Um, sure about having kids with um that are considered epa or um with autism but mm. then another uh another friend of mine um she is uh dr kule kanahele uh, she, mm. and and i actually don't i can't remember the term that she but she also kind of coined um a different term because she's not all people kind of go into that category of epa. So she kind of um, coined a different specific term. Um, mm. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but really to someone who is um, um, a little bit different than 
the definition of epa. So mm. kind of to more specify because Hawaiians they they love to we have as many names for rain and wind as First Nations people have for their you know r- rain and wind. So mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. you know um, we call each other by by the the rains that they're from or the winds mm. that that they come from. So it's you know it's very specific. So they they we we do like to um, to kind of. Uh, exp- in in terms of our naming practices, we do like to give a lot more um, definition or details, if that mm. makes sense. Totally does. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, and that's and then yeah, and that's what I and, and I, I do wonder. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question more often. I think if I have the opportunity to sort of talk to folks who are you know uh, indigenous to you know, whatever country I'm talking to them from, um, to kind of see if that if that's a similar perspective. Because I have a feeling it probably is um, mm, um, yeah. around the world, you know. I, I mean, just the whole... <clears throat> These indigenous folk, at least in, 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 in kind of my neck of the woods, seem like they, they got a lot of things right that we mm-hmm. did not. Um, um, you know, no one was perfect. Obviously, they had wars, they had squabbles, they had battles, they hurt each other. I mean, humans are humans. I mean, there, there's, there's that, but, um, but there's also just a lot of really rich, um, and still applicable, you know, kind of pieces. Uh, certainly, when it comes to things like the environment and you know, climate change and all that kind of thing, um, you know, we know that if uh, we don't know. We, 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 we're pretty certain, though, that if uh, if we had kind of let the indigenous folk do their thing and not interrupted that, we probably wouldn't be in most of these problems that we're in right now. Um, you know, so lots, yeah. lots of really kind of kind of neat things that have come out of that. But, we, you know, colonizers came over and said, no, no, we can do it better and, and kind of, you know, rip that apart for, for, for every culture. You mentioned um, this sort of – oh, go ahead, yeah. No, and I was going to say that even the, our Maori cousins from Aotearoa or what mm. other people know as New Zealand, but we refer to yes. Aotearoa, uh, yep. Takiwatanga is their word for autism. And that mm. means in his own time and space. Cool. Um, yeah. So so when you look at the greater Polynesia that we're from, the family the, the, um, that compromised Hawaii, um, Maori or people from Aotearoa, Tahiti, mm. Samoa. Um, it's a very inclusive, um, inclusive culture and understanding mm. of that. Yeah. Mm. Really interesting. I mean, that that's an interesting perspective alone. Just if you're, you know, I think if you're, uh, um, and maybe we can come come to this later. Sort of in terms of sort of, you know, culturally you know, um, uh, informed, you know, interventions and whatnot and, and, and sort of, you know, if you're happy to work, I mean, I mean, I'm, although I imagine a lot of Polynesian folk stick to sort of island life as, as that's what they, they did for sort of generations and generations, but there are probably some folks that, you know, uh, have moved to the mainland and, in mm-hmm. some way or another, and 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 we may be providing services to those folks, and so having just that perspective on 
kind of anyone from sort of that, you know, uh, th- those origins, uh, you know, there, I think there could be a lot of, you know, um, uh, considerations that you want to make when you're sort of engaging those folks, um, particularly around the inclusion piece. You know, I would I would have guessed then that, you know, and I'm really guessing because I really have no idea, but that there's probably things, you know, in in, in your culture and, and, and some of the other nations that are sort of, or, or communities that are kind of based in the sort of Polynesia, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that you folks wouldn't consider a problem. <laughs> Whereas, you know, colonizer, the colonizer's perspective is that these behaviors are problematic. But because I think if a community is already, and, and I don't know if I'm making a direct point here, but if a community is already sort of inherently inclusive, um, that I feel like there's, because I don't think Western communities are inherently inclusive in any way. I think we, we, mm, yeah. you know, we battle each, we battle each other for, you know, for first land and space and ideas and, 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 and all these sorts of things. And, and that creates a lot of, you know, societal sort of, you know, struggles that are really difficult for someone, you know, particular for, particularly someone who might be autistic or, you know, have some other kind of, um, you know, different way of thinking. Um, um, but in a culture where you're, where everything is really, you know, community minded and inclusive and whatnot, you know, I think a lot of those problems wouldn't exist. Um, you know, I, I think, and I think, I think folks would. So I, I, I think it's a very long winded way of saying, I think some of the things that behavior analysts might come in and say, we need to target these behaviors. These might not be important to those families. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, not even considered a problem to those families. The second secret word is Hawaii. I love that yeah. case. And, and, but, and interestingly, what comes to mind, there was a, um, there was a longitudinal study that was done. Um, like it was pre-migration and they kind of did a pre and post of um Samoans coming from I think American Samoa and then moving mm. to Hawaii but really um saw an increase of um uh, uh domestic violence and mm. and things of that sort that weren't were not existent in um when they were living at in Samoa and a lot of mm. um good points were that the the home itself or the fale the the house system is where you could um you can openly see everything that was going on in everybody's house, homes or mm-hmm. house. Um, and so there was, there was this accountability piece of mm. um, it's not, you don't have four walls to kind of hide behind to mm. have. Uh, so everybody can, it, can take a shot at um, keeping you accountable for your behaviors. Mm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when they moved from that, that, that environment of having an open house and being open to getting scoldings on all those things. And now to four walls that are, that is secluded and private. Um, a lot right. of things, um, they weren't being held accountable by their community. Mm. And so I always think about that study when it comes to, you know, um, different locations and, you know, we're shaped by our environment. So when you mm-hmm. live in a more rural community and you know everyone, um, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. accountability for your yes. behaviors. 
Um, whereas if you live in a big city, nobody knows who you are. You can, you can kind of, uh, you get away with misbehaving. Uh, totally. So I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, we can't, we don't move out of Hawaii to reinvent ourselves. Um, you have to be accountable for all of your actions mm. um, because, you know, you're from here. So um, yes. I think with that, um, so you have, you really have to be mindful and cognizant of how you aloha one another, um, mm -hmm. even in, even in correcting other people. Uh, is that, mm. you know, I think there's, there's mm -hmm. that accountability, accountability piece, um, yes. that we, we take seriously. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to dive into in a bit, you know, you touched on kind of culture-based education. I know we talked a lot about that in our pre-chat and kind of how important that is to you. Um, and you also mentioned that, you know, it's, it's, it's a relatively new thing. I mean, um, in Hawaii, I mean, as far as, you know, uh, uh, schools starting to kind of kind of go this direction. Um, um, but I, I, I think it's important that we maybe first talk about kind of where where education, you know, has come from. In, in, in your area and, and, and kind of kind of what, what the history is there, because I think it's it, it's, it's really it's it's eye opening, and 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 I think yeah. it'd be good for folks to hear this 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 story. So, um, you know, I I don't know everything, but uh, I do mm -hmm. uh, do know a lot about I guess the um, the more unspoken um, educational history um, mm. that was uh, kind of brought on by the first missionaries that came to Hawaii in um, the early 1800s, um, you know, regardless of their intent to come to uh, to do their missionary work, what ended mm -hmm. up happening um, for a lot of our ali'i or our, um, the royalty of Hawaii uh, is that they created this uh, school called Chief's Children's School. And mm -hmm. um, it was really to get them to be um not necessarily american but to learn and i think the goal of the ali'i was to teach their children um reading writing um science math um really to just to to have them be on par um with americans and and mm. with um other countries of the world they just wanted them to have a good education so sure. they you know they really charged the folks uh, uh, uh Amos Stark Cook and Juliet Montague Cook was kind of leading this chief's children's school um mm. and ironically the location the original location of the the chief's children's school is where the capital of Hawaii or where they convene legislation in is exactly in the location of the original school um, so with that, mm. um, they, uh, you know, they had their own educational system and, um, and it was very, it was very based off of, uh, Christian ideals and all of mm. that. Um, and so 
Yeah, it's not that it's hard to talk about, but it, it's kind of we it, we didn't have um, the systems like um, necessarily like boarding schools. But mm. I think the intent really was to get them educated um, mm-hmm. in more of that in that sense. And um, it was a very sad uh, thing for um, for Hawaiians to kind of have to forget about their their culture and their traditions yes. and language um, going through that. And then um, I'm trying to think of something else in terms of education. That was a rough mm. part of history, and it's not really it's not well known at all. A lot of mm-hmm. um, the archives were suppressed of a lot of uh, well, the, in its entirety, how we were not able to get access to the archives mm. for a very very long time, and mm-hmm. and in the mm-hmm. archives house all of our Hawaiian language newspapers, and we're pretty well documented in the 1800s um, on mm. paper. Um, so a lot of evidences. I mean, people would have beefs um, back and forth um, through the newspapers. It was kind of like the mm. social media. They, you know, someone right. put their genealogy out there, and then another guy would say, "That's not your genealogy." But so education was super highly regarded because they wanted um, our people to be successful in mm. um, all different areas of their life. But um, in terms of culture-based education, there was this revival. And I can speak to uh, Auntie Kuka Hakalao or Dr. Kuka Hakalao. It really was, uh, I think the moment for them, as, as far as I remember, is there was a uh, sort of a protest about geothermal. And so uh, mm. if you don't know what geothermal um, was taking, because we live on, I live on Hawaii Island, where it has the most active volcano in the world. And yes. um, there are people and companies that wanted to, in the um, I think 80s, 70s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I can't remember, but they were mm. they wanted to um, harness geothermal energy to turn it mm-hmm. into power. And so mm-hmm. um, in terms of culturally, uh, that uh, it was Pele or... Uh, uh, a source that was not meant to be harnessed, mm. right? Geothermal was not, because culturally that was not acceptable to harness that energy. So mm-hmm. um, there was protests and all of those things put into place. And um, a lot of them got arrested. I, uh, many, many people got arrested to um, stop that. But really they thought, you know, how, um, how do we, you know, if we had more people, we could we could have stopped this, mm. and one of the ideas that floated around from that is we need to get the babies educated, and so they know so they know from a young age mm. mm-hmm. the history, mm-hmm. the real history of colonization, yes. the real history of who we are, um, to have that that foundation so we can make big movements like 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 what what they needed for geothermal. So Auntie Ku mm. and her husband and several other um, people created this thing called Kupulukumahana. And so it was this, you know, mm. cultural camp sort of in the Valley of Waipio. And, you know, they brought all their kids down and um, really immersed them in Hawaiian language, Hawaiian culture, and mm. and all the things that said, you are Hawaiian or you're Kanaka Maoli, you are 
you come from amazing people. And to kind of start mm. that off, that then went into um, a school within a school called Hawaiian Academy in the 90s, and then developed uh, Karaoka Aina Public, uh, New Century Public Charter School, which she's the founder mm. of. And <clears throat> just having that background and having that, uh, that to understand and know your genealogy, <clears throat> you know, um, mm, mm. to know the things that your people accomplished in the past, whether it was amazing uh, aquaculture farmers, mm. um, you know, surviving and thriving, you know, not just surviving, thriving in the middle of Polynesia, uh, you know, in the biggest ocean in the world and mm -hmm. um, feeding hundreds of thousands of people. Um, knowing your environment, um, sailing across the, really the Pacific around the world, um, intentionally navigating the stars. Mm. Um, to know you when you when you know that you come from a people like that, um, then you I think the idea is you can do anything mm. when you know who you are and mm -hmm. where you come from. So it really was the catalyst of a lot of movements since then. A lot of um a lot of the students that went there um did go on to create pretty big movements that have mm. been known worldwide. Um not necessarily create but assist and and just be unafraid to uh call it out to talk about colonization, to talk about these kind of things and, and not in a, um, we don't like anybody, but let's, how are we gonna address this? How can we decolonize our minds and decolonize education in a way and take back um, our language, you know, revitalize cultural um, practices and not mm. be, you know. So, um, you know, it, you. I'm sure, I don't know if you've ever heard of Mauna Kea, the largest um, mountain on Hawaii Island. So that yes. was, uh, um, was it after um, the South Dakota pipeline? I can't remember if it was after hmm. in the middle or between. Regardless is that um, we had activated every, I think we activated when I say we, I see, I, I mean, like the greater movement is that it mm -hmm. really activated our responsibility to say enough already, pow. Or mm. pow means it's, it's finished. Like we're not going to sit back and watch you build an, an 80 meter telescope um, mm, right. on our most sacred mountain um, in our state but that also sits on their largest aquifer mm -hmm. that feeds the majority of our island with your toxic chemicals mm. in a conservation district. We're like, we're done. Mm. Everybody's done. So, you know, I mean, but people were done in the 60s and 70s when they first put up the telescopes, but they didn't have mm. social media. They just had, you know, um, themselves to try to block the roads. And, you know, mm. so it's not it's not a new thing for the people of... Hawaii Island, it's just new to the greater part of the world and social media, you know, we were lucky to have people that were that are very have a big social media following. Um, mm. 
to to say, yeah, enough already. We're mm. going to stop this. So um, that was something big. And so, I mean, we have ongoing issues in Hawaii um, that are still affecting us today. Besides Mauna Kea, and they're still trying to push it, which is ridiculous. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But also uh, Red Hill, Kapukaki in Oahu, the Navy is... Mm. Uh, had they have storage containers above one of Oahu's the island of Oahu's largest aquifers that had been leaking for a very long time, and oh my gosh. Pe- and people have been getting so sick, and, oh. and but even not just that they own their actual military families were getting sick, and so so yeah. that is an ongoing issue. They got fined a couple million dollars. There, you know. They need to defuel those tanks, move them, remove them. But at what cost, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that aquifer is contaminated forever. Now, mm. other issues that historically in the past uh, was uh, Kaho'olawe. We have an island in our state uh, called Kaho'olawe that the mm. U.S. military uh, was using for target practice. So, so, what? so... Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's not very far from everywhere else. So they were using that as a target practice. And um, so much so that they cracked the water table of that island. And 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 now it's mixed up with salt water and it's not usable. So that island is uninhabitable. But not only that, they left all of their um, either unexploded ordinances, um, you know, um, and it's very dangerous. But we had to. have in the 70s a group of hawaiians that that went to protest and went on that island um Mm. to protest and went around and talked to schools about it because that generation said power already enough that's enough um so we've had a lot of uh revitalization and movement and i think but it's it's so good because it's picked up and we we have you know, mentors from that generation, mentoring the mm. next generation to do mm-hmm. you know, nonviolent protests. Um, mm. We had this thing on the Mauna that everyone called uh, Kapu Aloha, which was we cannot engage in any, um, not even um, words and no violent exchanges. Um, and it was emotional. I was there mm. um for for day after day after day during the summer but i was there the day um that the kupuna got arrested and to to watch uh well the kupuna said no it's our turn because you know our lives are almost over already you guys have mm-hmm. a lot of things ahead of yourselves and you know to put yourselves in that situation not just physical danger but um you know, the legalities of having, you know, an arrest record and and all of those things. They said, no, it's our turn. So Hmm. a lot of these, you know, older generations that took that responsibility and and really put themselves out there, but then to watch them get arrested and Hmm. and be committed to um, uh, a nonviolent stance. And um, we sang, we chanted, all in in to just kind of activate that in us to where we got to do this with aloha and unfortunately the 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 governor sent um mostly hawaiians to arrest more hawaiians 
So it was wow. It was very difficult for both mm. sides, and you could see that it was probably probably just it was emotional for everybody to to just kind of see that that they're gonna make us go against each other. But you know, with the understanding that we have to um, we have to do it in with aloha because it's there's there's you know we got to think about all the generations after us. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I can kind of go on and on about, you know, what culture-based education kind of sparked up in the the kids in the community. And it's and it's to say, mm-hmm. what is your, you know, reach your highest potential in whatever it is. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be political or cultural, but, you mm-hmm. know, you know that the people that you come from are um, masters of this, masters of that, and that mm-hmm. you... Um, have the backing of your ancestors so and i and i think that was kind of um the idea is that how do we activate that in and keep it going for kids and and not too Mm -hmm. long ago um what what really sparked my interest is my son the school that he's at it's very inclusive and he's included and and you know i didn't think he was going to be able to speak but he mm. you know he is speaking and so he's been included this school year in um learning hawaiian chants and and dance mm. and song and um for me you know i never thought that he'd be able to speak at all but then to hear him uh speak our language was like mm. over the top for me so we're, <laughs> we're we're driving down um, to the Kai or to the beach. And I asked my kids, yep. what beach do you want to go to? And um, w- my 11-year-old said, Kawai Hai. And so then he um, he kind of went midway and he said, hey, Allah. He, he, he said the word Kawai Hai. And then he kind of reverse stopped. And then he started singing, Malana maika ume puna mehilo hele maikona meko hala me hamakua. And, and like <laughs> my heart just stopped because oh he, he realized the connection of the, the name Kawai Hai was the same name in the chat that he learned. Ah, Kawai yes. Hai. And, um, I said, yes, that's the Kauai High. And he goes, oh, you know, and then we just, you know, did that on our drive. And, you know, it was hard for me to like keep from crying, but um, absolutely to know that it was activated in the sense. Mm-hmm. And one of my, uh, my former Kumu had said that, oh, he's like, he act, he activated that. He, he knows the words. He knows that. You know, nobody told him that that Kauai High is the place that we're going, but mm-hmm. he already like made the connection. He was like, "Oh, that's yes. the Kauai High we're going to." So, um, and I think that's important to to have. And and I would love to bring more culture based education um, to special education because I don't. I want them mm. to, um, and they don't have to sing it perfectly, uh, but I but just to expose them. And you know, activate mm-hmm. that in in their bones to say, "Hey, no, this is the people we come from. We need to yeah. at least make sure that you hear this. And one day, maybe you'll hum it, and then a few years later, maybe you'll sing it. You know. Mm. So yeah, that really gets me going. <laughs> to have all my tell. my yeah. favorite things, you know, 
come together, I think um, mm. that was the sign of, no, let's make this happen. And it mm-hmm, is important. Mm-hmm. And it is important, even though other people might think learning their genealogy, what's that going to do for you? Oh, it, it does mm. more than people could believe. Um, mm. Saying your ancestors' names and retelling their stories, it it's mm-hmm. um, it does something. Yeah, for sure. Are you a BCBA supervisor looking to streamline your practice? Or maybe you're working towards your BCBA and need to find the right supervisor. Whom House offers tools that make supervision so much more enjoyable for both supervisor and supervisee. For supervisors, they offer easy meeting documentation, competency tracking, monthly verification forms, a built-in supervision curriculum, and so much more. For supervisees, Whom House has a fieldwork tracker with built-in auditing, monthly verification forms, a curriculum, quizzes, and more. If you're looking for a supervisor, they even have a supervision marketplace where you can connect with BCBAs until you find your perfect match. Kind of like professional dating. For more information, go to whomhouse.com forward slash speak or search whomhouse on Google. It's it's so cool that, uh, you know, the, you know, and, 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 and that these kids get to learn about sort of just the amazing, there's such an amazing history with Hawaiian people that, that I certainly wasn't aware of. I mean, it makes some sense now when, when you think about it. Um, but um, I think when we were talking last week or whatever, um, we were talking about, cause I was, I was, one of my questions was kind of about how, you know, are, are, so what are the kind of the connections between diff- the, the different people in, in, in Polynesia? And, and you were kind of saying that, well, one of the big things is that, you know, these, the, the Polynesians and the Vines were very, were, you know, were like super seafarers, you know, the, the, these, you, you guys know the sea, like the back of your hand, you know, a navig- like you said, navigation, mapping the stars, you know, uh, uh, aquaculture before aquaculture was ever a thing. Um, uh, you know, uh, just, just sailing from island to island all, all the time, trading goods nonstop and, and uh, kind of a, you know, in, in a way, sort of a, each island is kind of a, a, a melting pot of, of cultures from, the, from all the different Polynesian islands, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, and, 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 and so at, at what point, this is, at what point, so this seems, this seems to be a common story in, in kind of these, um, in, in, in these, in these, in sort of these colonizing kind of, you know, context. So we, we hear, for example, we heard, you know, where, where we always hear like the, the hardships and the, uh, and the horrible things that these folks went through. But we don't often hear about how life was pre-colonized colonization mm. for folks, you know. And mm-hmm. so, like for example, like in in many of the African nations, you know, you know, they were they were really kind of advanced, and um, and and you know, and 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 and, and lots of different sort of contexts of royalty, kind of like you explained for Hawaii, um, and just really kind of cool things were going on, really neat, you know, in terms of you know 
you know, arts and, and, um, and, 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 you know, and innovation and, uh, and, uh, you know, and culture and just, just, just really rich, rich histories, rich, positive that, that were essentially, you know, ripped apart, um, when, when kind of colonization happened. What I, I, th- I think what I, what I didn't realize, uh, again, not knowing much about, you know, uh, the history south of the south of the border, let alone the history of my own kind of country, um, was, and and I always kind of wondered about this, and and uh, was was sort of like, how did Hawaii suddenly become not not suddenly, but how did Hawaii become, you know, not its own sort of sovereign nation? Like, what? Why isn't Hawaii its own country? <laughs> well. Um... Technically, it is its own country. It's uh, illegally occupied by the United States. Mm. And that's not my opinion. That is the facts. Um, right. We're illegally being occupied occupied by the United States. Um, and mm. of course, I think when you look at where we are physically, it's a really good strategic point for military, right? Um, yes. So it is a, you know, a port. Uh, but yeah, so I guess... So number one, it was a strategic move to illegally occupy us. Um, And Mm. I think all colonizer or colonization, it has to begin with that we're savages, right? We have to have to come in and and say, oh, we need to take this land over because the people are all savages. Um, So they really downplay um, the the structure mm-hmm. of society. They really downplay mm-hmm. um, because I mean, when you think about it, we have, uh, we have such re- rich resources and we developed systems. We have uh, a system called Ahupua'a system where it goes from mm. the, the top of the mountain to the ocean and really is, mm. is a within each Ahupua'a there, there are, um, uh, bartering systems and sharing systems, but also to manage resources. So there was a, mm. literally every section had a resource manager, and they made sure mm. that um, what was being, you know, that the fish were being caught properly to not overfish. You know, farming mm-hmm. was done because they they um, you have to understand seasons, you know, rain, clouds, all of those things to produce. Um, food mm-hmm, source, mm-hmm. but it was also traded within districts. So mm-hmm. if there's an overabundance of you know fish, you got to make sure the guys that live in the mountain. So they managed uh, their resources very very well. They were just the mm-hmm. ultimate resource management system mm-hmm. um, because they were experts on their environment and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at if you think about you know. Uh, colonizers coming and setting foot in Hawaii and you you can see mm-hmm. that their um, system can sustain hundreds and thousands of people um, mm-hmm. to thrive um, and they had this uh, you know there was warfare but I don't know what you know what places um, that don't have warfare there were power structures um, there there were rules uh, there, there was a rich culture but when they cut when they came here it's kind of like they have to look, they have to try to paint you as savages so right. um 
so you know but you know it it kind of and it backfired but it's like you know uh we became very literate um so they're mm-hmm, like oh mm-hmm. you want you know if we're savages and you want us to read and write and try to um um uh put our language in writing we'll do that so we did that mm. um the the white house uh i mean excuse me the Iolani palace the palace that housed our royalty had mm. electricity before the white house um, wow. so there was there were so many advances and they so they were so advanced and understood um, mm. um not only government uh but just worldview they had a they they weren't this uh people that you know were isolated for thousands of years they freely traveled mm-hmm. on canoes but um so hawaiians are uh kamehameha the third um he went around and um and he uh, established a, treaties around the world we had uh, the hawaiian kingdom had treaties around the world uh, we're we're considered an independent nation within the family of nations there's so many things that said okay so we can't and, and including the united states so mm-hmm. there was this uh we can't overthrow so there was you know um an illegal overthrow of our queen. Um, she was shackled and confined mm. to a section of room in her palace. Um, wow. There was a forced signed of called the Bayonet Constitution, where King Kalakaua had to sign something. Um, mm. We have our, you know, but we had an established, recognized, independent kingdom before the United States illegally occupied us. Um, mm. We still today. Are fighting for our independence um mm. so it is triggering for people to you know continuously say hawaii is a 50th state 50th state 50th state exactly we're yeah. part of america um yeah, yeah when clearly we're we're not um so even mm. the uh president clinton had had you know signed in a i'm gonna quote unquote an apology bill um so that's you know available and that's public he he made an apology to say yes we illegally overthrew you guys but it's just an apology yeah it's, we're not gonna yeah, do anything about it though. we're not gonna do anything about it because there's too many resources that we have poured into hawaii wow. um but yeah so um just with that right and so there i i recently came back from hawaii association for behavior analysis conference and and hmm. one of the one of the questions, I mean, we talk about trauma-informed care, right? So I, I wanted to ask the question, but I didn't get a chance to. But hmm. um, like, how do we, how do we do trauma-informed care when the trauma is continuously happening? Yes. I mean, right? So if you have a culture or whole peoples, you know, under the duress of another nation. And our, at one point, our language was illegal to speak, illegal to Mm. write. Um, Culture was uh, prohibited from using. All of the historical information in terms of written stuff was suppressed to the public for, you know, 50, Mm. 60 years. But how do we... Now that we're out of it and we have access to all that information, we revitalize our culture. We, we know, we, we let everybody know that, no, we're, we come from people that were 
articulate and and not savages mm. um so how do we restore that while being oppressed yes right so i think like you know i i think you know trauma-informed care is very i mean like uh the framework of it is yes we sure. should we should all know but but how do you deal with continuous trauma Every day right. when, you know, tourists are trampling over our family's graves or we're uh, getting pushed out of our state because the, the, the cost of living is so high. Um, mm. How do you deal with those kind of things? And the tourist industry is, um, you know, um, kind of prostituting our culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we deal with that? If we're only alive, our only our culture and language is only alive for advertisement, but we're yes. we're people that are alive and well. So how do we deal with continuous trauma? And I think that um, that is a question for a lot of cultures, First Nations peoples. Um, that um, you know we can't put band aids on this. We like, but mm-hmm. but how but how do we address like the big issues that people are not talking about? Um, yeah. So true. I mean, the, the trauma informed care piece is huge. And, and this is can kind of bring this a bit. And you kind of did with your, your, your Haba comment to kind of bring this kind of back to kind of our work in our field um, a bit in terms of, like you said, trauma-informed care. Trauma-informed care right now is is such a buzzword. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I I often wonder. You know, as a separate conversation, maybe sometime, I often wonder if like trauma-informed care, neurodiversity affirming services. There's a couple other ones that you know folks are sort of kind of slapping on on their on their uh, you know job description or or, or website mm-hmm. to describe their company. Like every ABA company under the sun now seems to say they're trauma-informed and neurodiversity affirmed um, or whatever. Um, and, you know, maybe some competent. of them. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Or, uh, or, 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 or uh, another one that's actually quite common now is um, uh, individual behavior analysts sort of self self identifying as allies to whatever, culture you know they may be most likely to be working with you know we're mm. you know we're, we're black allies we're indigenous allies we're we're autistic allies or whatever um you know so and again just sort of you know putting you know and 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 i i've you know i've had a few conversations with folks to know that you know you know allyship in particular is not something that should be sort of self-declared um uh and then or, or, nor should it nor should it even be a goal like uh, like you know obviously you want to be supportive and inclusive and 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 all those sorts of things but to sort of you know give yourself those labels as some sort of trophy <laughs> yeah. of your you know mm-hmm. is is is, 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 is troublesome um and I, I know you're you're probably itching to comment on each and every one of those pieces yes. <laughs> uh and, one question I have, and then you're happy to sort of, I'm happy to have you to sort of cover all three of them, um, is, you know, and, and, and is is sort of, because because it makes me wonder, sort of, in in a, in a in a place that's still occupied, which I think is a different, a bit of a different experience than maybe some other sort of. Uh, indigenous sort of situations, not a lot different because I think in in a lot of ways, 
Um, you know, in, in, certainly in Canada, we still are controlling and making rules and, and, and you know, and, and taking away rights of, of Indigenous people. So maybe it isn't all that different. But I think because uh, you're, you're in a, you know, in, in a land, a, a sort of a relatively small land in terms of area uh, with a whole lot of, you know, uh, Indigenous folk living there, you know, you're kind of kind of concentrated there where I think, it, you know, in, 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 in my country, you know, people in general are pretty spread out because we're like the second largest nation with only like 30 million people. Um, and so people are spread out quite a bit. So I guess what I'm wondering is, is, you know, as a sort of non-Indigenous uh, behavior analyst, and, and are, are there, just as a side question, are you the only one? The only Indigenous um, behavior analyst no. in Hawaii that you know of? Or? I, I mean, I at least know of a handful. Sure. There's probably a few, four or five. There's a, right? there's yeah, a sort handful. Of thing. So, yeah. 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 Uh, and so, but generally speaking, probably most of the other behavior analysts working in Hawaii, you know, are not Indigenous. It's probably safe to say yeah. that. And, you know, you're, and majority, too, or uh, a lot of them are not from here. Right, exactly. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, they don't. They're, they, they, in fact, they came based on the tourist sort of, you know, uh, model, yeah. as it were. Or, you know, hey, uh, we. I mean, and I have no problem. Like, hey, we need BCBAs, uh, you know, that come yes. and work with the kids. Like, I have no problem with that. Yes. Um, but I do feel like a lot of that, uh, you know, coming here and not understanding the culture and not really having yes. this like mandatory like. Uh, like module that you have to do for cultural competency or cultural humility yes. to understand yes. the, the historical trauma, to understand all of those things before you come yes. in. Um, there are yes. a lot of cultural things that people do not know how different Hawaii is. Um, yeah. And, and that, exactly. Yeah. That, that's sort of my question, I guess is, you know, because I'm thinking you're talking as, as far as sort of the continued trauma, you know, to sort of have a, uh, you know, a, a, a non-indigenous, um, you know, uh, you know, worse yet, maybe, well, I don't know if that's the right term, but, you know, certainly a, 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 a white identifying um, non-indigenous individual coming into your nation, um, I mean, that alone is, is sort of a symbol of, uh, of occupation and, and, and trauma and whatnot. And so if I'm a white behavior analyst coming to Hawaii from another place and, and now I'm coming into a, a family home that is maybe somewhat, maybe that, that is, you know, of indigenous folk that are traditional and, 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 in in, 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 you know, in, in, in their ways of being, um, I feel like right away I'm, I'm already, kind of in the hole in the sense that, you know, I'm already causing trauma by just being there in their home. And, um, and that is the number one barrier is that Hawaiian yeah. people, I mean, like to open up your home to someone, I mean, not that we're racist, but just to open up your home to a whole different set of, because the last time we opened up our home, you know, they took it, they took it away from us. <laughs> didn't work so well. Um, yeah. Didn't work so well. So um, there's that trauma of just letting someone come into your home and yes. uh, and being a different culture and not understanding um, all of the nuances in our culture. It is very difficult to, to have that. Mm -hmm. um, we had to break, break a lot of barriers to just be like, okay, 
we should have services in mm. our home. So number one, that's a barrier already. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I think for behavior analysts coming in that are not from that culture, there's a lot of things like, um, like you would think, I think more American families, like the dad is the head of the household. Sure. Um, but we come from a very uh, matrilineal society that, yes. um, that the moms are really the bosses. Um, and it's, <laughs> you know, and uh, there's this book that is, that is, I really do love it. It's called Sacred Queens and Women of Consequence, but it was done by an anthropologist. And it actually talked mm. about the viewpoint of when, when colonizers came in and they observed um, Hawaiians, um, they, they, all of these things that they thought were male dominated things yes. um, were really like, well, I mean, let's consider that that was a thing that women decided to do, you know, Mm -hmm, does mm -hmm. it have to be, you know, um, you know, they did have men did definitely, we were, we definitely had our own roles, um, Mm. in things, um, we, um, and, and different social structures. But when Mm -hmm. I think about, we have this thing called halepea, where, um, when, when it was your waimakalehua or the time of the month, the women would go, separately into a different area because they were considered sacred and um they would all their all their meals would be brought to them and 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 their kids would take be taken care of and they pretty much Mm -hmm. were just in a separate area so um from that book you know um thinking was this really a do you really think that this was male led to where (laughs) we that oh they're you know um dirty or uh, in a way, um, we need to put them separately. And I was like, no, mm. I mean, think about the structure. They're, you know, they are separate because they're sacred and the their food and all of that was prepared for them and their children taken care of because that is our responsibility as, as the bearers of life. Um, so mm. when, I, when I think about um, how other people view some of the rules it's not really it's it's from a from a western perspective so mm-hmm. you know when as a bcba coming into the home you know the bcba might just automatically go and speak to the dad i'm not speaking for every household but majority mm-hmm. of the like hawaiian households you're going to talk to the mom because yes the dad is you know the head of the household but the mom's definitely in charge of uh, a lot of the logistics and all those things so you know, there's so many barriers to break an understanding mm. of different cultures. But not only that, mm-hmm. we're Hawaii is such a melting pot. I am not just Hawaiian. Hmm. Um, right. We had an era of uh, of my uh, immigration because mm. of the sugar plantations. Um, mm. Hawaiians did not work in the sugar plantations because they refused because it wasn't a sustainable. You can't eat sugar. To sustain your life. So Hawaiians are like, why would I produce that? Um, They're growing kalo and uwala or, you know, taro or, you know, sweet potato, things that sustain life. Mm. Um, They, when they were sort of invited to work in the plantations, they were, they refused Um, because they said that you can't just eat that and sustain Mm. yourself. So what brought in a lot of immigration? So Chinese Japanese, Portuguese, Filipino. Mm. Um, that influx of culture is really the, the the culture of Hawaii today is majority is 
of that mix of all those different cultures. So there are things that we do that is very Japanese. Like we remove our shoes at the front door. We don't walk in the mm. house with shoes on, you know, but if you come from the mainland and you walk in with your shoes, everybody's going to go, oh, you know, wait, wait, no, leave your shoes on the outside. So there, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mix of things that we we've adopted um, into local culture today that comes from different cultures that immigrated mm. here. So, you know, some stuff is not exclusively Hawaiian, but, um, but more of the greater, um, the last, you know, 150 years mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Im- immigration. But, you know, that but we love that. So mm-hmm. I think for BCBAs to come, you know, and work with a family, a lot of it is understanding and just interviewing families to say, you know, mm-hmm. who should I talk to, you know, uh, about all the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. the plans and, and even yes. with goal making. So even goal making, I've had some goals and, you know, a lot of my BCPAs, I love them. And they've come from other states or, you know, different states in America, North America. But um, mm-hmm. they've made goals to like, I think one of them was to like greet somebody shaking hands. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's definitely not a goal. Like we do not mm-hmm. shake hands here. You know, we, uh, mm-hmm. you know, honey on the cheek. Um we do, and I, I, it's kind of a French thing. I don't know. Like we just kiss on the side of the cheek. Um, mm. So there's more of that, and then to acknowledge everybody when you enter, you know, to mm. and then what, and acknowledge everybody when you leave. So there's some things that like, oh no, that's what well, we have to teach them now, regardless if they have autism, mm. they have to greet everybody, you know, when we go in someplace and we go out someplace. So I think there's mm. some some goal setting that um, needs to be addressed and asked you know yes um but who do who do i ask so right you know have that conversation early who do we ask like what is it like in your home what are some rules um i think uh you know the food rule was really hard because for a lot of filipino mm-hmm. families um that is their way of showing love like they're straight up gonna mm-hmm. feed you so if mm-hmm. you like refuse any type of food that's like <laughs> you you ruin relationships because yes. um that is a, like a big no-no to really refuse food from from mm-hmm. filipino families so so you know just knowing those kind of things and yeah i mean like don't make it weird i think that was like a hashtag mm-hmm. that we that was at haba like just don't make it weird you know yes we have ethics um you know, of course, you don't want to like, you know, eat a whole meal every single time you have session. But um, right. also, but also know that the cultures that you're coming into, that is yeah. that is the expectation is that, yeah. you know, they're going to do that. So I think a lot of it is just having good conversation and asking really like good questions about um, like when I make goals, what are things, you know, and sometimes you're not going to know until it comes up. Mm. And, um, you know, sometimes they ask me and I'm like, oh, the, you know, my services or my kids services a lot of times happen at my parents' house. But I had mm. to, you know, really educate my parents and and sort of be the middle person to to train them. Right. So if they're, you know, maybe doing something and it's not um, consistent with our culture, like letting mm-hmm letting you know my kid 
cry for a little bit or or whatever it is um you know uh, my parents are like you know hey you know automatically trying to give them attention or hey let me give you this you know um mm. so just kind of understanding and teaching my parents too how um aba works it really was good that i um that i went into the field because i had to really teach my parents um mm. just the science and then um how that's translated but also be respectful of my parents' home and they have a different set of rules and to let, mm. you know, the therapist know like, Hey, so, you know, when you're at my parents' house, can you, can you just be sure to this, this, and this, and this. So they know, mm. you know, because my mom is not going to like scold people because that, that, that's rude. Right. <laughs> she's not going to scold them directly. She's going to complain to me <laughs> and then I, then I'm going to kind yes. of go around and just say, Hey, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things, um, but I think in all, it, it, it has been a very good relationship in building, um, mm. cultural competency, but I think we, yeah. every state needs to have a regional kind of, uh, a board to come up with w what the culture looks like in your region and, and really try to develop, yes. um, something for bcba so we're not just coming in there blind like we need to know like bcbas yeah. need to know that the history of hawaii is not what they you know from their limited version of no this is an illegally occupied nation mm -hmm, like it was a, mm -hmm. you know it was a fully independent nation so when there's uh so know that those things are kind of going to be kind of triggers mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah, right on. Um, yeah. So yeah, so there is there there isn't something like that yet. Um, no. Um. Yeah. I know. I was gonna. I and I can't remember what we were yeah. talking about earlier. I was like allyship you know, was something I mentioned. What was that? I was talking about uh, trauma informed, neurodiversity affirming, and allyship. And oh, yeah. something in there got you. So I think, I think for us culturally, you, you don't self-proclaim. The community yes. tells you what your, you know, the community will tell you what it is. If you're an yes. ally to people with neurodiversity, they'll, they'll, the community will decide. Mm. So, there, you know, I think there's processes, you know, there's formal education yes. and then you get that recognition because you have, you know, yes. your degree posted and whatnot. But a lot of uh, cultural things or that kind of allyship or, go, you know, community recognition, you mm. don't ever, um, you know, kind of self-identify, yeah. right? Um, that's such a Western, it's such a Western idea that no, no, yep. no, the community will come to you. Um, I didn't think I was an autism advocate until, you know, week after week, after months, after years, people will reach out to me and be like, Hey, everything need help. Can you read this IEP or Hey, everything mm -hmm. need help getting the service or Hey, you know, my, my nephew got uh, diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. um, what, do you know some resources? So not, and and I wouldn't even call myself today personally and identify as an as a you know informed autism parent. It's mm -hmm. it's what the what the community says I am. Yes, is I am. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah, no, and that makes sense. And I think even on top of that, if 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 the community sort of identifies you, and likely it's not the community, it's someone from the community. That's well-respected. Yeah, Mm -hmm. acknowledging you or whatever. Um, uh, I think a couple things. One, that doesn't necessarily mean someone else from the community will. Um, um, Mm -hmm. And two, that doesn't now give you the rights to then slap that on your business card. Just because someone else has given you that sort of, you know, um, you know, acknowledgement. I th- so I think I think if 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 you know someone calls me an ally, I'll be like, well, I guess I'm on the right track. Um, mm-hmm. Keep doing what I'm doing, but I'm now not going to say, you know, Jill called me an ally. So it, it, it's now it's it's now in my uh, my my biography for every presentation <laughs> I do. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I, th- I think I think, and 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 I had a. I did an interview um, with, um, I think it was with um, Melody Sylvain. The third secret word is occupation. And one of them, I think one of them said to me, you know, it's, it, you, you should, you shouldn't ever be doing it for, you know, for some sort of recognition. You shouldn't be doing it so that you, you can mean socially feel good about mediated yourself. attention. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Well, then. very good. Very good. There. CEO line granted. Um, 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 you know, you should be doing it because you should be doing it um, because you you know your ancestors, you know, caused a lot of problems. You gotta. You, it, it's time for you to start. Uh, you know, reconciling and. And, and and fixing those things not so you can you know have a plaque on your wall that has all these terms um i mean i get it i i like social praise i mean i i, I thrive on yeah. it I, I love people telling me i i'm i'm awesome or whatever um but at the same time you know um something i've been working on for the past few years is i also value humility um um and uh you know and, and sometimes it's hard to sort of um you know align those align those sort of values i i i, I want to be told i'm cool but i don't want to tell people i'm cool <laughs> yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, yeah yeah humility um humility is a um interesting concept um so mm. uh ha'aheo uh, is this word in hawaiian where ha'a is humility but hail is this um an action uh it's kind of this ha is humble and it's also mm. this like physical positioning to get kind of low like um mm. mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. a bended knee position um right. and then hail is just this this proudness so that word hail is is like no be, be proud of your accomplishments but but mm. you need balance in terms of humility. So so when I think about um, accomplishments or you know any of that things is yes, be proud of the things that you're mm-hmm. accomplishing in your community with yourself, with your children or you know or, or your work, but also have this level of humility that um, that you don't necessarily want to keep on talking about yourself and I think that's why you know Mm -hmm. I've been asked to do podcasts before and I've always hesitated because um mostly of my responsibility to to Mm. 
to represent my people well. Um, yes. You know, so that's a heavy responsibility. And, I, and I've also reached out to other mentors to be like, you know, is it, and we're a culture of asking permission first. So we always ask permission, mm. whether mm. it's, you know, to go in the forest, to pick native plants or, you know, to enter into different areas that you're not from. I always ask permission. Yes. So I've asked permission on, you know, like, is it okay that I, I speak, um, not necessarily on behalf, because I'm only speaking from my knowledge and what I know, but. Um, but you're representing, so. Yes, yeah. yes. Is that, you know, and the response that I got was, if not you, who? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, with mm. that, I was like, okay. So it is my responsibility to not only represent well, um, but mm-hmm. represent truth. Um, but also know that um, your responsibility. Like you said, mm. you know, um, the community doesn't, uh, if the community doesn't recognize you, you're not necessarily the person, you know, to represent, but, you know, mm-hmm. um, also, if not you, who? Mm-hmm. So um, I had to ask, like, well, is there anybody, um, you know, all of those things, mm-hmm. like, like mm-hmm. BCA, mm-hmm. that teacher, two kids with autism, Native Hawaiian, reared in, um, yep. just all of those things. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess if not me, who? Because uh, there is, yeah. you know, um, but also just ha'aheo, so um, hmm. be uh, positioned low and know that I don't know everything and yes. I'm going to learn forever, be a student forever, but also still be proud in yeah. what was, yeah. So awesome. Uh, getting near kind of wrap up time, you know, I love this conversation and I could easily go for two more hours, but I know, <laughs> um, I know that uh, my listeners no, most of my listeners don't have four hour drives they have to take any day. So, um, so I feel like they never get to the end. Um, but I wanted to just talk about kind of what you're doing now. Uh, you, you, uh, I think when we talked last, you said you were, you were, you're starting a, are you starting a doctorate? Yeah. So I'm doing my doctorate and I, I feel embarrassed that I can't even remember the name of the doctorate but it it's an ed d <laughs> it's an ed d yeah. and it, it's <laughs> it's kind of long-winded but it's i yeah. i um i'm in my first year uh at the university of shamanad or shamanad uh, of honolulu and mm. um the doctorate is uh in education something with adaptation to change and um but really mm. my focus is, is on indigenous leadership um yes. and you know, I wanted to have a, I wanted to do a doctorate, um, mostly because um, I wanted, I, I love school. I'm like a lifetime mm. learner, but also yes. um, I chose not to do ABA because I don't want to ignore my responsibility to, um, to my people. So mm-hmm. yes, I love ABA and I love, you know, giving back in, in that area, but I also mm-hmm. want to help develop indigenous leaders and to go in yes. every field because we need indigenous leaders to go in every field. But how do we do that if there's no representation? Yes. Right. Yes. If if kids do not see um, a Native Hawaiian with a doctorate degree to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, representation matters. And I think oh, I even I think yeah. I even spoke on behalf of, you know, um, 
um, not only that I'm, I'm a minority, but um, 33% of the children in special education in Hawaii are Native Hawaiian Pacific or Pacific Islanders. They're the largest ethnic group that is serviced by in special education. Wow. But the teacher population, there's only 9% uh, Native Hawaiian teachers and even a smaller percent mm. of that is in special education. Right. So when it comes to immediate barriers and all of that trauma, um, and you mm-hmm. have you have um these systems that are not meant to uh propel us into you know all these positions it's um it's hard so even at the university there's really only um i think six percent um native hawaiian uh faculty and maybe less than four percent are tenured so um yeah so i it, it really representation does matter um you know, when I was teaching um, class last night, I did have to apologize to the students. I said, you know, I'm so sorry. Some of the words are going to be Hawaiian or mm-hmm. because I do not like speak. Uh, I don't say like finished, you know, majority. I'll, I'll say Powell because that's the mm. only word for finish. Or I won't say sure. comfortable. I'll say ma. You know, so I, I had to apologize mm-hmm, to them. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's going to be a lot of Hawaiian words that I'm going to throw out there. And I'm so sorry. But, you know, um, if you don't know what it is, like, stop me and I'll, you know, or I'll try my best to um, give the English equivalent. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to naturally, you know, talk like that. And so a lot of them were like, no, no, no. Like, we, those are words that we all know and, and grew up with. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm glad to kind of normalize that to um cool in that small way um even though it's natural for me and natural for everybody a lot of students to hear is that um they can have that familiarity of language that we can share yeah yes yeah really cool and i mean this kind of goes back to your your point i imagine this will be a lot of not a lot but a definitely part of your work in your, into your doctorate. And once you have your doctorate going further, I think would probably be to expand more and more of this sort of culture-based learning. Um, because it seems, it, this kind of goes back to our, kind of the, 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 the question I asked an hour or so ago around, or near the beginning around sort of the perceptions of, of neurodiversity and, and autism from, you know, indigenous peoples. And, and in that, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's a much more sort of positive, you know, revering um, kind of outlook. And Mm -hmm. if your life starts that way, if you, if you're someone that, you know, would typically be designated in sort of the westernized kind of colonized sort of educational system as, you know, quote unquote, special needs. um, But because. But you're also, you know, you're, but you've also been shaped through sort of westernized medicine and sort of that trauma, uninformed approach, I guess. Um, um, well, then no wonder you're going to be sort of slotted into sort of a special education class. Um, uh, you know, it, like it seems to me like the 33% of these kids in special in, in special ed could be drastically reduced if they were introduced to this culture-based education from the get-go. Oh, 100%. Uh, 
Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, and of course, there are disabilities that um, they're not going to be able to, you know, kind of get kind of get mitigated through culture based sure. education, you know, like developmental disabilities and all that. But um, yeah. but it doesn't mean that we can't follow that uh, that framework of inclusive from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, more uh, Western education kind of fails uh, indigenous peoples is that mm-hmm. um, we're separated until we can until we can um, kind of get acclimated. Totally. Sorry, I had to switch headphones. Um, no worries. So, you know, we're separated, we're separated until we can get acclimated into, you know, normal society, like only until you're good enough or have these certain, you know, skill set, will you be able to come, come, you know, mainstream with us um, versus mainstreaming from the get go um, and having the opportunity. And it's interesting, like when, when I look at the way, so when we, um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. When we uh, automatically are inclusive in the beginning, it, yes. it really makes a difference. But when I think about yes. like how um, Hawaiians like teach their kids, a lot of it is, I'm gonna uh, story based. You know, uh, I I, I mm-hmm. actually have like looked at at um, like different practices. Like, okay, they always make it into a story, a really amazing mm-hmm. story. Um, to teach you, kind of give you that like foundation of the context of the skill. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to show you. And then I'm going to, you're going to practice and I'm going to give you feedback. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of it um, is very um, consistent with how we teach in, you know, in ABA, um, mm-hmm. minus the story. Um, so very story based um, to give you context and reasoning for why. And, and it should be everybody um should be hey i'm gonna teach you this skill and it's you know and explain it to you you know pretty much so you can understand like why this is a useful skill and then i'm gonna show you and then i'm gonna have you practice you know physically Mm -hmm. practice and then i'm gonna i'm going to whether it's a task analysis and it's done in small increments you know forward chaining or backward chaining that's pretty much how we do uh, teach a lot of different skills um Mm -hmm. is that type of way so and i'm going to give you feedback timely feedback so you can make corrections and then move on and then we're going to put it all together and when i think about those kind of things like hula um Mm. if you watch hula it is you know i'm going to tell you this the 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 background of this um song and the hula and i am going to teach you the uh, you're going to watch me dance the whole thing and then i'm going to teach you the first verse you're going to practice. I'm going to correct you. Mm. You're going to practice. I'm going to correct you. And then we're going to add in the second verse and the third verse and the fourth verse. And then after you master that, then I'm going to have you kind of perform it to mastery. Right. And then mm-hmm. kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, you've mastered it. So I think with that, if we return to that style of inclusivity mm. And even peer modeling and all of those things, um, I think that we could make some big moves mm-hmm. um, on that front of um, a more inclusive education and culture-based education mm-hmm. to involve students with all abilities. Mm. Really cool. 
if folks just wanted to kind of learn more about, I mean, obviously I'll give your contact information, but if folks just want to learn more about kind of what culture-based education is all about, are, are there resources? Um, hold on, I should have, <clears throat> shucks. Um, you know, I guess my kahua or my foundation really uh, is Kanoka Aina. So Kanoka yep. Aina is, um, I think it's kanokaaina.org. Um, yep. You can see uh, the model of education. Mm. It really was the pioneers, the first Hawaiian culture-based uh, charter school. Um, mm. But there were, I just want to mention, there are schools that are, um, you have Kamehameha schools, which is a school for Native Hawaiians. Um, mm. um, they kind of have a, they had a different focus from the beginning of the creation of that school um, yep. to be more industrious. Um, Hawaiians um, and then you have Hawaiian immersion schools that really was the foundation of the revitalization of our language so that mm. uh, that was to bring back our language and mm. really start from the babies and so yeah, there are yeah, yeah. different types of schools that you know um, that uh, that focus on Hawaiians but um, I think Kanoka Aina did a really amazing job at teaching the way we taught. You know what I mean? Um, we didn't. We did not learn in a majority of our things through a textbook. We, when I thought was normal, um, later on I was like, oh, that wasn't normal to you know sail on a double haul sailing canoe for two weeks. Um, you know, uh, to have sailed with the master master navigator Maupiailug when we were in high school, to learn stars, you know, from directly from him, I didn't know that wasn't normal. I I thought that everybody was getting that opportunity. So we were not taught in in that Western style of textbook lecture. Um, yeah, we were yeah. like fully immersed in Hawaiian culture mm. and with Hawaiian culture practitioners. Um, so it was, um, so I think that would be a good start to see kind of what they're yeah. still doing. And that school is 22 years, well, 22 years of the charter school, but much more longer history of uh, culture-based education within the community before then. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Well, this has just been, you know, I said it from the beginning. I said it at the beginning. I'm going to learn a lot. People are going to learn a lot. Everyone's learning a lot right now if they're listening. Uh, and, and I am so honored and humbled that you agreed to come on. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I just, I just, I just, I just thank you for the work you're doing and, and just really appreciate um, 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 you know, um, just everything you're doing from the, from from your from a, a, as a mom, as a professional, as a researcher, you know, as as a you know a representative, um, you know, it's, you know, um, it's 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 it, it's awesome. So it's just so cool to have you on on the podcast. Really, really, you know, something I'm going to um, you know pin on the wall as as a special one for me. Oh, thank you. And, I, you know, it's hard to take a compliment, but thank you. Um, mm. I, I don't feel I do enough. 
to be honest. Mm. I feel like I could do more. Mm. But yeah, thank you for that. I don't think that's a bad thing, Naomi. Uh, you know, I think thinking you've done enough means you're not going to work harder and try harder. So, you know, I, I, I think that's a good I, I think that's a good sign <laughs> of someone who um, always wants to do better. You said you're a lifelong learner. Well, you know, that means I think it's always going to be this way. And uh, that's a good thing. So, yeah. So good to have you. Thank you so much. <laughs>